0: I am experiencing that it is not about human and AI, but more and more human or AI or human versus AI or humanized AI or even artificial humans. And that is really scary. And uh, and from my perspective, this is misleading.
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI Mind, Machines, and a Grading Descent.
2: Thanks that you tuned in again to listen and to learn. We are Uli and Avery, and we're super stoked to welcome our today's genius mind, Markus Zechel. Markus is the program and innovation manager at Siemens Supply Chain Management, and he's super passionate about pushing innovation or AI fueled companions or sustainability initiatives. Okay, that sounds like an inspiring plan, isn't it? So Marcus, it's really great to connect to you today. So how are you and where do we catch you?
0: Yeah, hi, Avery and and Uli, thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm actually fine. uh, And of course, in these uh, strange times at my home office desk, uh, so.
1: Enjoying home office, nice. Marcus, I guess, you know, it's already, oh, oh my gosh, we we gained an old, right? A couple of years ago, almost, right it feels like that we met in the lab and we were actually giggling about, right, that you are the owner of a Senator card, actually a Senator status for the air lab, because you were actually one of the first, right? You know, making use of a bit of the platform and bringing, for your case, a bit of, you know, the aspects of AI and design thinking and supply chain somehow together, right? But maybe, you know, if you reflect a bit on other folks out there, right, can you a bit of, you know, depict and share us a bit of your history one your personal flavor? What's the path behind you and how do you end up actually to
0: Siemens? Okay, I would say, you know, after studying industrial engineering with a strong focus on, on real estate, I wrote my thesis for a global company, consulting company, actually. And I also started to work for it. And this was around the millennium, so at the beginning of the new century, and you might remember there was this little E in front of everything, you know, e-business, e-commerce, e-marketplaces, e everything. Yeah, and, and well, I, I wrote my thesis actually around e procurement. And actually that that's obviously still the domain that I'm I'm working in. And at that time we Had a similar hype like we have currently with digitalization, Uh, but back then it followed exactly the Gardner hype cycle. Well, (laughs) the elder ones of us remember the dot com bubble and the decline of many startups, especially in Silicon Valley. I guess you you all remember, (laughs) at least Ulia, I guess. Yeah. And um, somehow, yeah. I, my my thesis was also e-paper.
1: How cool is that? Oh, <laughs> my bachelor thesis. Cool. And I did have a startup. <laughs> right,
0: at How this. cool is com. that? We should compare <laughs> it. <laughs> <The> face, <right? laughs> yeah, and then I guess currently we are obviously back on track in the garden hype cycle curve and, and coming back to a more sustainable plateau, especially when it comes to, to digital transformation. And yeah, I mean, well, with, with the decline of the dot-com economy, I should be transformed somehow to an SAP consultant at that time, which I, I didn't like. and As I always preferred to create my own solutions over applying and rolling out pre-given tools in a rather, I would say, inflexible environment. Yeah, so that was the time when, when some colleagues also from this consulting company joined Siemens, Siemens Supply Chain Consulting. And I, I also took the chance to, to join this great company here, and it was around 2003 or 2004, around that time. Yeah, there I we had projects, actually internal projects. The first one was at Siemens Business Services, and already there, um, I was involved in, in several IT projects, and I was asked after the first uh, consulting project to join SBS, actually. And there I, I started also what we call maturity level assessments, so global assessments, where we um evaluated certain organizations, mainly procurement organizations, and, and that's what I have done within SBS later on, then also for Siemens Communications and, and, and then also for Nokia Siemens Networks. So as I said it was always a mixture between this this assessment topics and and, and also digital projects or projects around IT. And I was already at that stage quite, quite much involved in digitalization and, and discovery topics, I would say. Yeah. yeah in 2012, I, I went back to, to headquarters, to Siemens headquarters, came back from Nokia Siemens networks, and I was asked to to set up a new program, which was, was called World Class Supply Chain Assessment and also applying world class purging assessments. And yeah, with, with with all of these programs, I discovered quite a lot of corners uh, within the Siemens universe. Yeah, so I, I traveled quite a lot, and was really fun to to meet a lot of lot of guys around around the globe, especially, of course, in in procurement and supply chain management, but also cross functional partners. And around 2017, then I, I was a little bit tired of of traveling, also because I didn't see my family and my two boys too often at that time. And, and so I asked my management if I could, could do another assignment, preferably in the area of, of digitalization, especially AI. At the time, I, I was pretty lucky that my, that my bosses gave me the chance to, yeah, yeah try something out <laughs> crazy. Um, and uh, actually that was also the time, Uli, really when we met and, and, and when also AI lab was, was founded. Uh, and, uh, you mentioned before, I, right? we, we used it as the front runners there. And, yeah, I got to know this great network, the AI network that, that you set up, actually, within Siemens, the great minds around AI, and I was immediately fascinated about that.
2: Wow, Markus, that's quite a journey, and I think you've, like, experienced a lot, and, yeah, very, very exciting Another thing that we all experienced this year was the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's still all around. And it actually showed some vulnerabilities in the production strategy and supply change of companies, and they're actually everywhere. And what are for you the greatest learning to really mitigate those impacts on supply chain in the future, and maybe also build up resilience against future shocks?
0: Well. First of all, um, I guess I learned that our Siemens setup in terms of supply chain management and decentral logistics works extremely well. And especially comparing to other companies, the colleagues were obviously able to master the challenges around undersupply, etc. Secondly, at the same time, we have put um, even more emphasis, I would say, on risk management for securing the supplies in our factories. Uh, and also, around that, we are building a companion, so-called supreme companion, and is the learning. so it's it's about risk management and really um, forecast and foresee yeah certain hiccups in the supply chains.
1: One can say, actually, there are two different sides in AI, you know, with our business, I would say, differentiate, right? One is the industrial AI aspect, and the other one is the, I think, emerging and having, uh, you know, also at the same point, an impact, the enterprise AI, right? Enterprise AI is all about the processes. What is your view on, you know, the AI-driven enterprise how how do would you see that? Any any thoughts on that?
0: I mean, industrial AI, I would say, is great, and I guess we have a look to the customers there and uh, the outside perspective there and help them, uh, our customers, to set up a good AI-driven enterprise environment. And, and at the same time, we are doing that internally. And there's this great initiative also within a technology there where we also contribute a lot, where we really try to set up and and constantly shape our internal roles and and processes with the help of AI capabilities. Um, That's that's it, and then we at SCM focus, of course, mainly on on strategic procurement and supply chain domain, but more and more we realize that the real good use cases are together with our cross-functional partners, such as uh, engineering, quality, sales, finance, logistics, you name it. And with that in mind, we are pursuing somehow to become what we call a full value add orchestrator. It's a long word, but uh, that's uh, the meaning is that we, we digitalize and apply AI where we can in our domain, but at the same time, try to build up a broader cross-functional view and build kind of an AI-driven ecosystem within the company. And that's that's the idea, for, at least from my perspective, on AI-driven enterprise.
2: Right. Marcus, so actually AI is everywhere and there are more and more solutions out there, but what is actually the role of AI or automation and machine learning in supply chain management? Are there any use cases out there that you're very much fascinated about or excited?
0: Of course, uh, mainly about my my companion program, but uh, I guess we touch base on, on that later. Understood, but um, I mean AI plays a role within supply chain management since quite a while. Of course, it started like most companies and, and domains with the I would call it low-hanging fruits, with optimizing and automating rather operational processes, with for example robotics, process automation, um, NLP-based chatbots, uh, and yeah, guided user entries in terms of auto-completion suggestions, e.g. for typing correct material classification. So things like that are really helpful and, and have a focus mainly on, on efficiency gains. Yeah, And my colleagues in SCM who are in charge of that are really doing a great job there and have built a great expertise and framework and realized quite some clever use cases here. But in addition, with the companion program, we focus less on efficiency gains in operational process, but rather on effectiveness gains in strategic roles. And, and that's where I'm very passionate about.
1: <laughs> yeah, and actually, if you, whenever, obviously, we talk about enterprise AI, it means you, know, you, have, this, you have this internal capabilities and this internal data. And the, the beauty is that this allows them to merge them with external information, right? And I guess it's also in supply chain, right? Sensing not only the world within their own turf in the corporate, but also on the external turf, and then you have the three pillars you know in machine learning, I guess you know digitization on steroids, right you look at processes <laughs> and you try to digitize and get more efficiency. then you have the second turf, which is like this automation on steroids, which was like, can we somehow repetitive task and you know can we improve on there and then you have the statistics on steroids, which is nice in things so can be forecast, predict you know, and build. Uh, somehow help us, which you already mentioned, it, right? A bit of companions, right? And digital companions, I know, right? It seems to be a, quite an emphasis in your activities. Can you share maybe a bit of the audience? You know what? What are the companions? You know, from your perspective, and how do we interact with them? And how are they used? And you know, can you share a bit of the companion suit actually you have in right at SCM?
0: Sure. Before I explain this in in, in detail, uh, maybe I, I take a step back. Why I did this and why I'm so thrilled about that. As I said before I, I did quite a while some maturity level assessments all over the Siemens world. And whenever, let's say, we we had a result in our evaluations and presented it to the to the management, then at the end of the assessment. What really makes the difference between, let's say, standard organizations and really world-class organizations is always the decision-making process. So if you really nail it down, if it comes to strategic roles, it's about decision-making. With this in mind and having seen the possibilities with with prescriptive analytics, I was really keen and very obsessed on, on going this path further with the prescriptive analytics there. Yeah, actually, that's what the digital SCM companies are all about. It's about prescriptive use cases, who proposes your next best activities. With that, we bring together the strengths of both worlds, the algorithmic objective power, as well as the human subjective intuition experience and forward-looking anticipation and knowledge about the future. So really having a companion on your side who proposes you next best activities but head of the game is always the human human being and, and he or she can decide whether he takes the proposal or not and the machine is learning out of that and, and that's the feedback loop then um, that is important for the learning and
1: uh, what kind of actions are those then you know as decision can you share that a bit you know what what are these these actions to be taken that systems then
0: propose Some examples I can give you, I said before, we are focusing very much on roles. So we we said, okay in in procurement, we have supplier managers, we have procurement managers, we have controllers and so on. And for every role, we think about what are, let's say, their daily decisions to be taken, maybe not daily, maybe weekly, maybe monthly and so on. But there we we started, uh, for example, with the uh, role of supplier manager. And and for them we we set up a use case and and a tool that is proposing you next best activity proposals around which suppliers should be qualified should be evaluated should be risk mitigated and should be developed next so very strategic proposals and and that is all fueled with the data that we have in our systems already so nothing that um, is let's say a gut's feeling or so and this is just one example another example. For the role for the, for the commodity managers, he or she gets next best activity proposals around which alternative suppliers are around that can deliver the same, what is already delivered by preferred suppliers and then really have a challenger supplier around and, and, and things like that. So you see, this is how it works. You get proposals on, on strategic decisions and, and you can overrule as a, as a human being and say yes or no. That's the idea, In summary, we call this augmented intelligence in a way that artificial intelligence solutions more and more become complementary sparring partners, which are challenging, but also augmenting our human intelligence. So it's, it's like Yin and Yang, you know, kind of the artificial Yin makes our human Yang more complete and ultimately enable us as human beings, for example, to take better decisions. Yeah, so currently we have quite a couple of use cases in various stages, so from idea phase to already a handful of companions that are in full uh, full scale-up phase. Everything was homegrown and only possible with the support of the Innovation Fund. And, And Uli, also there, I remember that we sat together, it was in the canteen in summer 2017, and I got to know, I guess from your side, that we have this great instrument within Siemens. and. I told you about my ideas with prescriptive analytics and companions. And I told you that I need quite a lot of money for that. And, and you told me about this possibility that we have. And yeah, half a year later, I was able to pitch in front of the Siemens Innovation Board together with a great team. And we managed to get, get the funding for, for a couple of, of companions there. And that was, let's say, the birth of a bigger endeavor and bigger program here around. Afterwards, then, with the great collaboration with, with with your fellows within technology, but also with with IT resources, we we managed to set up this this companions. But meanwhile, we also have our own DevOps team who is able to to program fancy front ends with the seamless Low Code Platform Mendix, for example. It's a very important milestone
2: as well. What a cool story, Marcus! And so what kind of use cases or scenarios would you say? Uh, supply chain management companion is rather like a guardian to the human
0: well guardian guardian is maybe the wrong word but maybe maybe the payment terms companion is a good example in terms of it is it is guiding and guarding let's say the guys where when they send out purchase orders up front and, and and give them really proposals on the on the best payment terms towards the supplier to be taken so this is not that strategic but more tactical but here I would, would say, okay, Guardian is, is the right wording here. But maybe let me take this question a little bit different, yeah? Because I think in, in principle, we need a new, a new storytelling or narrative. And, and therefore, I like the title of your podcast really a lot. So you call it Human and AI. So this is what it is. There is Humans and AI. Why I'm saying that, Yeah, why is this important from my perspective? Because I am experiencing that mostly it is not about human and AI, but more and more human or AI or human versus AI or humanized AI or even artificial humans. And that is really scary. And uh, and from my perspective, this is misleading. And let's take, for example, human versus AI. Currently, this is very much predominant, and you you all know the storytelling is always about you know AI bet the chess master, the Go master, the Jeopardy master, and quite recently the curling master. Well, a little bit boring from a spectator view, but quite thrilling, I guess, from a technology AI point of view. But it's always you know versus and with some bots that we have around. Uh, this story more and more comes to our professional lives. And I have seen even some official contests where, you know, operational processes where machines prove that they can do better and faster than humans. And I I personally don't like this. And of course, with that, the workforce also more and more is concerned about their jobs. Or take another wording that I, I said before, the humanized AI. This trend we clearly see like with Google's duplex, pretending that there is human but the other side, in fact, is machine is doing the conversation. So from a technological perspective, of course, this is fascinating. And to some extent, maybe a proof that a Turing test has passed. But from a personal and ethical perspective, I have big doubts. And we shouldn't continue this route, I would say. At least think there should be kind of a code word, a question that a human in the conversation can raise to unmask the machine is a machine. So kind of a code work like, like <laughs> Uli or maybe maybe better, maybe uh, not so common code work like Arberry, uh, okay. And then the machine has to admit that he or uh, it is only a machine uh, because I really don't think that people like that uh, on the other side, they have a conversation with a machine and don't know about that. So that's really scary. And yeah, apart from this humanized AI, I also hope that your your title of the podcast will not transform into artificial <laughs> humans. Also, from my perspective, horrible scenarios in terms of transhuman utopias or better, dystopias. So please keep it separated, human and AI, and at least with the companion program we keep that separate, and we always show that you know the humans are head of the game here. And uh, yeah. just my opinion, my fifty cents <laughs> thanks on Thanks on for that.
1: Actually, there is a, it's a nice Turing test I think in in China running. Uh, it's called Xiao Ice. It's rolled out by Microsoft. Uh, it's a bot, uh, like a chat in our know, social media mm-hmm. uh, bot, and been highly used, millions and millions and billions and conversations about that. And the main thing is people know that it is actually an artificial system, right? So it's a software system does that, but they still love it because they trigger some kind of sensitives like we go you know that the bots uh, ask you you know in the morning how are you oh i hope they are good uh, here's a small puppy image yeah, yeah. right do you love it right even so we are we are fully aware of that these systems you know are not you know there is no human behind it but still sometimes i guess human is very easy to exploit <laughs> isn't it? but on a different note to be honest is um I th- I think what you already said, like, you know, we, we are living in a world of increasing complexity. And with this increasing complexity, somehow, sometimes technology can help and assist us, you know, identifying answers or shipping us a bit more further to disentangle basically this craziness. And sometimes you refer to yourself as an analytics translator, which is actually a pretty nice notion, I think, because, you know, we somehow obviously geeky. We always say like, here it is the expert pool, the enthusiast pool. But actually, yeah, it's actually business translator or analytics translator. And I think there is a strong need for exactly that. You know what is for you an analytics translator, and why is that actually pretty much important?
0: Yeah, thanks for asking that. My favorite question, I would say, and uh, actually there is a pretty funny story behind it. It was like pretty much one year ago when I when I was uh, giving a speech at at the Gardner Analytics Conference, and there I explained in my own words what I was doing the last two to three years in the companion program, somehow mainly being the translator between some groups of, well, I I said aliens, you know, meaning that the guys from SCM business and their jargon and the data scientists on the other side also spoke their own language. And for the other group, it it always looked like the other group is talking Klingonian uh, language or something like that. And of course, me coming from the Domain of, of of procurement and supply chain management. I understood the business side, but also with my background uh, in IT and digitalization before, I, I I could translate towards the the data scientists and to the IT guys as well, and and the other way back as well. And 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 therefore I, I found myself really like a translator at least at the beginning. Now it is easy also for for some of the data scientists because they they really uh, understand uh, our domain quite well. Yeah, at, at the end of my speech, a, a Dutch guy stepped up the podium and, and came to me and asked me if I know what the correct term of my role is. And I said, well, I don't know, tell me maybe master of disaster, uh, something like that. And, uh, and, and he answered, no, there is uh, this concept and the role description of this analytics translator. And yeah, we exchanged business cards and he sent me later on the, the white paper about that role. And well, I read it and it, it perfectly described my role at that time. 100% and not only my role but also some other roles within in procurement. So really, kind of out of a domain, get a decent understanding, not in-depth understanding, but a decent understanding on on what is possible with with data, um, on 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 what is possible with with data scientists and also with the IT guys, and uh, really having the overall big picture on on the on the use case and 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 driving this forward together with a very diverse team there. And, that's what I like with this role, and, and since, since that, um, I, I promote this role also within the Siemens network.
2: You just mentioned data, and data obviously plays a vital role in the supply chain management and, of course, in your role. But I guess you have also super blended and mixed data structures or interaction transactions or legacy and so much more but how do you actually approach the data strategy in your organization so what is actually needed
0: Yeah very good question and one of the key learnings also and in indeed data is is of utmost importance of course for a high quality of of decision proposal especially in the companion areas of course well we we realized uh, a more or less that not all data especially cross functional data is available for our use cases um, that we had in in mind and secondly also that the quality of the data is not on the stage that that is needed and, and therefore um, we came to the conclusion that we before the companion use cases or even other data analytics use cases we need to get back one step and really focus on on data availability and data quality and and therefore we had pitched uh, this summer again in front of the Siemens Innovation Fund and we're lucky to get another sums up and get a funding for our program data accelerator which we started just this October and yeah main goals are i would say not uh, on the first glance not that sexy than the the companion story but on the other side, it's kind of a prerequisite for the companions and, and other, other data analytics endeavors that we have within supply chain and procurement. And it's really about, you know, data integration with the help, for example, of knowledge graph technology and really boosting the data quality, quality at source and deduplicate and things like that. And based on that, uh, we can get even better decision-making process afterwards and yeah, with that, we are one puzzle within Siemens to create what we call a new data policy, I would say, meaning we need new roles like data stewards or better accessibility to data, while at the same time complying to the cybersecurity requirements. So this is quite, quite complex program you can imagine.
1: But I guess that it fits also to your somehow, you know, pushing a community called data to value. Right. Also, somehow, I guess it needs you know data literacy and you know having a data strategy. I think if you want to trigger something in a corporation, you need to start a movement. Is that a movement? What
0: is the data to value community about? Movement sounds great. (laughs) Maybe it is a movement already. I mean, actually, we also established this cross divisional, actually, and cross functional community already some some three years ago, and uh, when I think. Back, we started very small with, uh, I would say, more or less 10 colleagues uh, with the same mindset um, in place. And, and, and meanwhile, we are more than 30 colleagues around, um, not only within supply chain, but as I said, cross-functional and, and guys from IT, technology, logistics, quality and engineering. And, and what we are doing there is at least... Before Corona, we met on a bi-monthly basis and discussed quite literally. So we discussed data to value. So we, we tried to, to find value out of the data. So discussed the data topics, availability, integration, and the security topics, but then also how we can create value with, with clever use cases and, and maybe bundle also our resources, therefore. And and that's what we discussed there on, on, a, on a face-to-face, bi-monthly basis on, on a full day basis and with corona now we switched to a more virtual format with shorter focus topics and yeah with all let's say having the opportunity to learn contribute and and then also join the progress on on our journey there and uh, from that perspective it, it could be kind of a movement yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> right marcus we came across the working mode cognitive diverse t-shaped teams but what is it all about? Can you maybe shortly
0: elaborate on it? It is pretty much related, of course, to the role of analytics translator. I, I explained it before that you have, let's say, quite some some different team members than usually in, in your team uh, by default. But if you think it through, you should really foster this and, and really have teams and team members with different opinions from different uh, domains, and from my experience uh, over the last three or four years, almost now in, in in the companion area, it is the ingredient for innovation. So if you only take homogeneous uh, thinkers in in your team, you you won't you won't have any innovation there. And yeah, to some extent, quite strenuous for the one who who manages the team. At least at the beginning, of course, it is quite strenuous. But in the long and midterm run, a diverse team is of utmost importance for innovation. From a leadership perspective, uh, it's really about, uh, let's say, fostering this this culture and really recruit also different personalities. There's this saying, great minds think alike. I think this is totally different. Uh, So really great minds don't think alike. They totally think different. And and, uh, if you bring these great minds together, uh, these are the ingredients for real great innovation, I would say.
2: I strongly agree, and what a nice quote. But we are already at the very end of the session. Time was really flying, but before we call it a day, we want to play authentic autocomplete with you. That's our ending game. So let me give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters, and you just finish. So Siemens is?
0: Still one of the most innovative companies in the B2B area.
2: Amazing supply chain of tomorrow will be?
0: Resilient and greener, or even more sustainable.
2: I like that. Innovation is?
0: Exciting and for Siemens, essential to succeed also for the next 170 years, I would say. (laughs) Love
2: that. The Corona pandemic has taught me?
0: To be more patient, mindful and also humble.
2: Beautiful. And last but not least, my personal superpower
0: is? Well, professionally, to continue working with, uh, within great minds in this great company, of course, uh, and privately to plan some, some nice trips with my family and, and spend more time in, in, in our nature, allowing myself more and more the luxury of being offline, just be a non-digital human without any AI.
1: Digital detox. Here we go. More than ever, right? Marcus, thanks so much. You know for being being here, being with us, and uh, I enjoyed you know the last years already. A super, you know, a different engagement and uh, aspect of it. have. and I hope really we we continue that journey. Uh, sometimes bits and bits and pieces together. But uh, thanks for you know sharing a bit of your thoughts to us and to the outside of folks and folks out there. Stay tuned. There's so much to come. Stay bold, committed, and open-minded, and we we'll hear us definitely at the next Seam Alle podcast. Thanks. <music>